Hello, I'm Chris Hudson and welcome to FIS's Freight and Commodity Podcast on Wednesday the 22nd of June. In this week's podcast, we are focusing on the ferrous complex, that being the commodities involved in the making and including the final product, steel. These obviously being iron ore, coking coal and steel. But the first of the main news of the past week or so, well, Russia has become the largest oil exporter to China as it sold discounted crude to Beijing amid sanctions over its invasion of Ukraine. Imports have risen 55% from a year earlier to a record level in May as it overtook Saudi Arabia to get to the number one spot. There was an aggressive U.S. interest rate hike of 75 basis points by the U.S. Federal Bank to try to combat rising inflation, which also pushed other central banks across the world to raise rates. In the U.K., inflation hit a 40-year high at 9.1%, a problem obviously not unique to the U.K., but a, a global problem as food prices and energy price hikes started to bite. And in Australia, it invoked emergency powers to block coal exports in an energy crisis, giving the government the power to block coal exports if it needed to ease the country's crippling power crisis and its latest measures taken to avert the uh, risk of blackouts. But what about the market? What about the commodities that we'll look at week on week, the index changes? Well, in the dry freight, we've seen a slight movement across the board. Cape 5TC has moved up to 22,477. That was yesterday's close, compared to a week ago on the 14th of June of 19,138. On the Panamax 4TC, that has also moved up a slight amount, about $2,000 a day to 24,320 yesterday. And on the Supermaxes, that's just uh, uh, just above 27,000, 27,178 having been 26,963. On the iron ore, the iron ore 62% index, this has slid quite considerably. Around about 20 bucks had been 134.20, now 115.90. Seen a real effect there of the uh, the problems uh, for China in terms of its economy and the steel consumption. Real big question marks over whether it can continue on that and therefore the knock-on effect to the iron ore imports and costs there. In terms of the oil markets, Brent crude, that has slid as well. 124.58 it was a week ago, now 114.74. That has obviously had an impact on the Sing point five percent, the uh, very low sulfur fuel oil contract had been nine forty eight oh five. Now front future nine oh nine sixty five, according to the FIS report yesterday evening. On the tankers, uh, hardly any movement on the TD three C. That's the very large crude carriers have been forty four ninety five. Now closing forty six. Uh, on the product carriers cross Atlantic TC2 that has slid slightly down to 360 world scale, having been 390.56. And TC5 is continuing its climb up, 345.71 it was, now 373.93 closing last night. Steel continues its slide as well. Uh, Northwest European Steel Index was 899.75 a week ago, now down to 872.75. And the EUAs, that's the compulsory carbon emissions market in the European Union, it was 84 euros 15, now 84.73, so a slight movement up there. But next, the main feature of this week's podcast, which is a closer look at the whole of the ferrous complex. So the production of steel sees billions of tonnes of raw materials transported across the world, mainly to China, to produce one of the most abundant man-made products in the world. The first of these raw materials is, of course, iron ore, which sees some 1.5 billion tonnes transported across the world's oceans in the last 12 months alone. But who is producing this and where is it going? Well, the mining of iron ore is dominated by two countries, that being uh, Australia and Brazil, with the two countries exporting 895 million and 328 million tonnes respectively in the last 12 months. 
In Australia, this peaked at a monthly total of 85.1 million in December of last year, 2021. Uh, it has dipped of late with the disruption in China lowering the demand from furnaces. On the Brazilian side, this has seen a much bigger decline in the monthly average loadings to export out of the country, with the recent record volumes of 35.2 million in August 2021 dropping in 2022 to below the 30 million mark. There are a few other notable countries worth mentioning at this point with respect to iron ore exports, albeit at levels far, far lower than those exported by the top two, Australia and Brazil. South Africa exported some 59.6 million tonnes in the last 12 months, Canada 57.2 million and Norway 20.8 million. But these figures you can see are much lower than the two countries who dominate the export trade, with Australia and Brazil accounting for over 80% of seaborne exported volumes every year. With the export market dominated by these two countries, the import market is even smaller, being dominated by one country and it will come out of no surprise that that country is China. In the last year, China imported some 1.1 billion tonnes of iron ore, with the next import destination being Japan at 105.1 million, uh, followed by South Korea, the next at 75.7, making China accountable for some 73% of all seaborne imports. Recent months and the disruption in China due to growing COVID-19 cases has pushed down discharge volumes to below the 100 million tonnes a month to levels around 91 million. And there was a slight recovery in May uh, to 100 million again, but volumes for June have been significantly impacted by what's been happening and discharges as of yesterday were currently standing at only 44 million. But what about the other main raw material for steel production, that being coking coal? So around about 24% of total exports of coal uh, on the high seas is currently coking coal compared to uh, thermal coal. And that's around about 288.6 million tonnes a year. And the rest being, obviously, as I mentioned, thermal coal. Exports-wise, we have four major countries, Australia, USA, Russia and Canada, which exported 159 million, 38.8 million, 37 million and 33.1 million, respectively, in the last 12 months. The destination for these exports is more varied, without one single country dominating, mainly down to the fact that China has significant domestic supplies of its own of coking coal, unlike the situation with iron ore. Those top countries being India, Japan, China and South Korea, taking in some 66, 59.2, 35.4 and 30.4 million, respectively, each in the last 12 months. And But what about prices? We've looked at volumes. What has happened to those prices? Well, for the two main raw materials, that has been a significant roller coaster over the last year or so. Iron ore 62% contract. Uh, if you look at the current month future, you had a high in, on the 12th of May 2021 at $230 and a low of $88.40 on the 10th of November 2021. Uh, in 2022, you have seen that trade now between $164 as a high to down to $122. So significant price movement that we've seen for the iron ore. On the coke and coal, if you're looking at current month future there, you had a high of $640 a tonne on the 9th of March 2022. So more recently, a much higher price there, which really squeezed those margins for steel producers. And now that has dropped down to $385 uh, and has been uh, as, as low as $200 at the start of last summer. 
But what about the finished product? What about steel? Well, I have Josh Tony from our US office to discuss a bit more about what's been happening in this market. Josh, good to have you on board. And this steel market has had one hell of a ride recently. If you look at the kind of current month futures, USHRC peaked at just under $2,000 in the 1st of September, down to a low of 1,050 1st of March 2022. Now it's 1,125. And then the EU side, High of 1,390 in the 4th of April this year and now sitting at 860. That's one hell of a movement. It's been it's been incredibly volatile and thanks for having me on, Chris. It's a pleasure to be here. And I guess what we're um, saying is what has been moving in that market? What are the big movers that we've had that has driven such a dramatic price movement in the last, uh, what's that, year and a bit? Yeah, I'd say that the, the biggest factor, I mean, initially was coming out of, you know, COVID-type uh, lockdowns a year ago um, after after some peaks in you know the latter half of 2022 uh, the market started to come off pretty rapidly and was represented in the backwardation in both the u.s and, and european curves now the wild component is that as we headed into let's call it february and march of this year uh beginning with the russian invasion we saw another spike up in, in steel prices on, on a futures basis and you know i think that was a big component of the market, you know, not pricing in a, an invasion for a you know major steel producing country. Some of the data that came out of that was pointing to further weakness into the into the marketplace once we digested the you know changes over that period. And now we're looking at, I guess I'd say, even further weakness in in the steel markets. I mean, curves have flattened out to pushed further into backwardation. I mean, as, as you mentioned, Chris, the front month is, you know, 1125. But if we're looking further out into 2023, I mean, that that market probably begins with a, an eight handle uh, on the US side. And the European market has seen even more aggressive uh, drop off, I, th- I suspect, on a percentage basis where, you know, there seems to be minimal, if any, demand for, for finished steel on, on the coil side uh, coming out of Europe. It seems to be a, a function of auto, automotive concerns. I think the semiconductor shortages are, are still a common topic globally. And that has really put a damper on, on, on coil prices. The, the other you know, major end market that you could suspect coil would go into would be uh, OCTG products, you know, oil country tubular goods and some seamed pipe type items. And, you know, that market hasn't... Uh, hasn't really taken off at all either. So a couple of those factors and the inflationary pressures we've been seeing kind of permeate the data sets over the last, what would I say, three to six months have really driven these prices to low points and potentially lower. I mean, it, it seems like that we're on the cusp of maybe some decent correctionary factors in, in both of these markets, in addition to what we've already seen uh, in, the, in the last you know, I could say probably month, two months. It's been quite a, a change to the sentiment of, I remember thinking when we were there where it was just after Joe, Joe Biden being elected US president, he started talking about huge monetary investment into infrastructure projects. We had China coming out of its lockdown, looking like they had put together the best policy of coping, coping with it. And now the complete converse of what's happening is that we got a problem in China in terms of actually how do they get out of that situation? Demand looking weak. Uh, imp- imports into into China have been low in terms of iron ore and coke and coal. And 
steel mills are being put into maintenance and you're seeing this price in the in the US as as you outlined looking into next year and beyond you know looking starting with an eight handle and only having three figures not four so it's a complete turning on of its head of of pricing factors which people are taking out into consideration on a fundamental point totally agreed i i think the the chinese the chinese information is um going to put somewhat quite a damper on the market i saw a piece you know, I think it was published yesterday or today that was saying that, you know, the offer levels are sub 700 metric USD uh, out of China and, you know, heading into export markets, it's probably even lower than that because they don't know exactly where to price things because of the lack of domestic demand. Uh, we still have 232 tariffs uh, for imports coming into the state. So, that, you know, I don't think that there's necessarily an arb opportunity just yet but if you see that some of that material that begins with a six or seven hundred dollar figure i mean start to permeate some of these other markets i mean that sets up an environment where there's no reason for there to be such an outlier with the eight not eight handle in the u.s or you know seven upper sevens low eights on on the european prices um i i think it, i think it can set up a scenario where we'll have some additional volatility outside what we've already seen uh, just to give a data point options on us products have been trading in you know call it the 38 to 41 percent volatility lately uh, euro options have, have been listed but have yet to trade and that's something that we think the market is almost demanding uh, just given the, the price swings that we've been seeing lately it's, it's it's been a fascinating development i would say probably imagine that you know those vols looks a bit higher just because of the liquidity difference between European hot roll futures and uh, U.S. hot roll futures, but uh, you know it's still a still a feasible and option. Then to look further into the future, and it's always what everyone wants to know: uh, where is this going to end up? A couple of points in terms of future looking. So you, you're looking at the curve now with those those future U.S. values starting with eight handle. We're looking at those Chinese. Uh, values for for steel perhaps starting with a six export value into that in terms of your in the near future is that kind of situation going to be continuous feedback loop of a lot of Chinese products a lot of other areas with export product with no areas to go being put into other other markets and continuing that that downward trend on pricing movement or do you foresee something changing that continual pattern my opinion right now is yes I, I think this is setting up for a pretty weak environment today um the demand side and and what we're hearing from the marketplace is that you know there's not exactly all these destinations for for steel now does the futures curve end up bouncing around and you know as you mentioned feeding itself it can <laughs> sometimes it seems to happen like that i mean you know two weeks ago i'd say we found some support at 900 um, again, in you know, let, let's say the Q4 traded down to almost like 900 bucks a ton, and then bounced right back up to the mid 900, just shy of a thousand, right? Which was over the last three, four months was always a support point. Now we're probably through that with you know Q1 markets looking more along the lines of like 870, 880 value um, today. But it, I think that feedback loop could be very real. Again, still pretty much bearish on on the on the entire marketplace uh given today's 
components. And then looking even further in the future, steel is an industry which has questions to answer in terms of environmental factors um, being, what was it, usually every tonne of steel producing uh, about 1.9 tonnes of carbon emissions and obviously the drive towards using electric arc furnaces, uh, use of scrap to kind of eliminate that and reduce that uh, generally as part of a whole scheme uh, around emissions uh, with that industry doing that and there's about eight percent of world emissions currently from steel production and that's a much more longer term view um but what kind of sense do you have now of what impact that's going to have on the steel markets with the context of potentially slightly lower prices for the near term you bring up a really interesting point so uh, we as a as a firm we're just at steel success strategies in miami and a big discussion area was uh decarbonization for the steel sector right so there's money flowing into some of these technologies and ideas of you know hydrogen was thrown around and some of these other methods of i guess refining metallics into let's call it cleaner products that can be used in the steel making process uh, something really interesting that was brought up is the u.s produced steel from the electric arc furnaces and even you know some of the let's call it modern technologies using pellets and uh, HBI and things like that. It, 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 some of the cleanest steel produced globally. So some of the sentiment was that, okay, if we look out maybe a year, two years forward, there's a chance that people prefer to purchase steel using uh, some of these methods that have been, you know, kind of the backbone of, of the, or the new backbone of the U.S. industry. And I mean, speculation was that there could be almost like a premium for these, quote, cleaner produced steels that have, are less less carbon, produce less carbon emissions. Um, I thought that was a really interesting take considering, you know, we've historically from the US, I've been an importer and uh, there's, you know, not normally, China's always been the export market, right? And uh, Europe has always, you know, had some big export components that uh, come into here, hence our tariff structure. So if that changed and people wanted to buy, quote, cleaner steel that was produced domestically, I mean, I could see that setting up almost like a premium price for a U.S. product uh, as opposed to some of these other parts of the world that haven't made that type of investment already. Now, of course, there's tons of runway for some of these new technologies for someone to implement something new. And I'm excited for what it brings. I think that uh, scrap in the future is going to be an increasing focal point of the entire supply chain. I mean, you know, closing up some of these... Pretty much making us a, a closed loop of from scrap to steel into new products and then close finishing it back to return to scrap again and once upon a time the average scrap life cycle was something in the ballpark of like 25 to 50 years right from uh, buildings things of longer dated nature uh, autos you know eight to ten years in the u.s before that returns back to the the scrap supply chain and you know, maybe these, maybe these extend a little bit, but I, I think that scrap is going to be a very interesting component for the markets coming forward. And luckily, there's a handful of futures products that exist to replicate that. I mean, we've seen a lot more trading of mill spreads, meaning bushling versus hot roll coil, or you know, you can even trade the the Turkish mill spread for the rebar prices. Uh, that'd be Turkish heavy melt against rebar, and that represents you know a play on construction and expectations there. So then perhaps uh, some 
people looking into trading some of these spreads between these different contracts. You, know, if you have the US, HRC, EU, you have a Chinese one uh, as well, that actually those regional differences will start to see quite a lot of volatility, especially with some of these trading perhaps. I, I think so. Just today and in the past week, we've seen a lot more of the US versus EU hot roll coil spread trade. And typically, you know, you would have called that um, almost like an import spread, right? Or the Atlantic spread. But I mean, it's it, that was something that a year ago wasn't trading, it, regardless of, of pricing and, and tariff schedules and anything like that. Like that spread, people weren't looking at it. Now they are. And I think that trend is going to continue. We're, we're going to see a lot more of these, you know, let's call it regional plays against uh I don't know if you'd almost call it like a relative value, right? It, you know, hey, hot rolls trading here in the US, it's trading here in Europe. Well, we're taking a freight differential and some exchange rate basis and calling it, well, this is really what you could replicate. And those two contracts have seen quite a significant increase in volumes as well. I think the last numbers that I saw on the USHRC was up something like 135% on last year. So this is increasingly becoming a, a well-traded steel contract. It is. And, and that trend, I, I can't speak to, you know, over years on that, but I mean, we've had growth in that contract for the last five years. So every year there's more entities engaging this marketplace and uh, coming in to, you know, hedge their risk, take speculative positions. And, and we're seeing a lot of growth and in actual engagement from the market to use these products. It's been a great story and volatility definitely helps it. A really interesting market with lots of factors throwing in there uh, and even looking much further ahead, some significant big questions to ask. Um, we've got the contracts there, so if anyone wants any more information, and obviously Josh is the guy to go to for that uh, and uh, a bright future with uh, hopefully increasing volumes year on year as we've seen uh, so far in 2022. Thank you very much, Josh. Those lower steel prices and especially the increasingly likely scenario of them being lower for longer puts uh, the final product into a bit of a conundrum. With the dramatic increase in raw material costs, they have seen a big crush down of the margins for steel mills. If you look at the current margins for mills in northern China, they're currently losing 400 to 500 yuan a tonne. So it becomes no surprise that many of these mills are looking to enter, enter maintenance while they wait for better levels to restart production. We've also seen mills switching sources of raw material in order to reduce costs, going for lower quality but cheaper ores to keep their heads above the break-even mark. Another consideration has been rising energy costs, especially for electric arc furnaces that produce less pollution in the creation of steel from scrap because they don't use coke and coal, but have struggled to deal with the high energy input costs, with many opting for reduced production levels to cut those costs. With a stuttering world economy, the knock-on effects of investment, development and the construction industry, we see a depression in steel demand. Until there is a change in market dynamics, you are going to see a lot more of steel mills making similar decisions, I imagine. Looking forward, there has to be something that gives. Either the cost of raw materials in the ferrous complex, with prices dropping to levels to kickstart steel production, or for demand of steel to increase to help lift prices to cope with the high input costs. Either way, I think it's fair to say that there is going to be an increasing premium for environmentally produced and cost-effective steels in the future. That's it for this week. If you want to stay up to date with everything that's happening in the freight and commodity space, then sign up to our app, FOS Live, or follow us on Twitter or LinkedIn. We'll be taking a bit of a summer break on this podcast, but we'll be back later in the summer. So until that time, I uh, hope you have a great end of your week, and we'll see you again later in the summer.